0: I know it's been a minute, but we went through 1 Peter chapter 2 several weeks ago, and we found there a strategy to turn opposition into an opportunity. Opposition toward our faith as an opportunity to win someone to Christ. And we found in that passage of Scripture that our strategy, whenever we are mischaracterized and marginalized and mistreated, and you're going to be, and it's going to increase even in our country. When that happens to you, your strategy is to keep your conduct honorable. Do good. Endure suffering righteously. In doing so, they see your good works and they glorify God on the day of visitation. That's verse 12 of chapter 2. In, chapter, in verse 15, you see that by doing right that you put to to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In chapter 2, verse 20, you are supposed to be a living display of Christ. As He suffered for you, you suffer for them. And man, you become like the presence of Jesus to those who would oppose you. And it is one thing for you to go out into a world... In which you are marginalized and mischaracterized and mistreated. But what if you come home to that every day? What if the person who marginalizes you is not at work, but on your couch? What if the person you want to see come to Christ the most, but who wants to hear it the least, is laying with you in the bed? What if the person who wants to rid the world of your faith, marginalize you, is sitting at your table having dinner? It's one thing to go out into the world that is like that every day, but what do you do when you come home to that every day? What is your strategy at home for turning opposition into an opportunity to win those people to Christ? What's your strategy? Do you go Old Testament on them? Do you, do, you, do you tell them, hey, turn or burn? You turn or burn. Do you go, well, I'm going to bed, but you need to turn right and go straight. <laughs> do you do that kind of a thing? Do you preach hard at them? Do you, listen, do you slip your Oswald Chambers devotional into their lucky charms? Lord, I want you to sanctify this cereal that when they are eating it tomorrow in a holy moment they find this that they will be born that, is that what you're going to do are you going to take lipstick and write John 3:16 all over the mirror right take that right what what is your strategy when the people who mistreat you of your faith they live with you at home do you just ignore them do you just agree to disagree Here's here's the real question. When it becomes too much for you, do you leave them? Or do you leave Christ? What's your strategy? If you want to win your unbelieving spouse to Christ, to turn that opposition into an opportunity the Holy Spirit gives us some wisdom for the wives in 1 Peter chapter 3, but it also gives a warning to the husband. And that's what I want to talk about today. And I want you to look at how this is written. Chapter 3 verse twenty he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if... And that even if is an interesting thing because it points to the most extreme case. And the most extreme case that we see in this passage is it's a believing wife who is married to an unbelieving husband. But I want you to understand this. Even if opens up a wide door of application for this passage. Maybe you are a woman who is not married to an unbelieving husband. But there are times when things can get spiritually out of sync, aren't there? Man, there's there's one spouse who's really on fire for Christ, and there's another spouse who's really going cold. Even if means, hey, listen, if this is a valid, wise strategy for a woman in the most extreme situation where she has an unbelieving, opposing husband, there are so many applications we can glean from this passage as a wise approach for a lot of situations where you might find yourself spiritually out of sync. So I'm going to preach to that extreme end, and I'm going to trust that you and the Holy Spirit will glean some things in your own life as we work toward that end. So let's talk about, first of all, some some wisdom for the wives. Now, if you want to win an award... For being woman of the year in this culture, this is not your strategy. You're you're not going to be the woman that everybody on Instagram thinks is amazing if you do this. But if you live with someone that you want to, to bring to Christ, this is an approach that is wise and it just might work. And not only is it an approach that's wise and it might work, listen, it pleases God. It, it kind of corresponds to what we find in, in chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, man, if you suffer for doing good and you don't suffer for doing evil, God finds that to be a gracious thing. But if you look in verse 4, he tells a, a woman who, who takes this wisdom to heart that that takes on this kind of beauty that he's going to espouse in this passage, corresponding for her, it is precious in the sight of God. So this is not going to be an approach that pleases the world. This is going to be an approach that pleases God. And at the very least, that ought to be motivation enough to try it. And so he gives us this wisdom because here's the truth. Turning to Christ can be transformative for a family. There are many of you in this room right now, man, your story is an awesome one. You came to Jesus and you broke the bonds of addiction. He restored your marriage. Boy, it was all about to fall apart and you both came to Christ. And man, some amazing things began to happen that absolutely transformed your family. But that's not always the case. Because as Christ can redeem a family, Christ can also bring division into a family. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10. He says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus can also bring that kind of a thing into your family. And that's the situation that he's addressing in 1 Peter chapter 3. We always have the hope that coming to Christ will bring our family together, but we also must face the reality that coming to Christ can also tear it apart. Especially when both parties are in very different places. When a woman comes to Christ, it puts her in a different place in her relationship to her husband. This is especially true in the historical context that Peter is writing, first century Rome. You have to understand for this woman, his his first audience, her identity was in her husband. Not anymore. Now that she's come to Jesus, her identity is in Christ. Before, his friends were her friends. Not anymore. Now she is intimately involved in this community called the church. She's expanded her circle beyond his. Now there are new relationships that have come into her life. Before, his gods were her gods. Not anymore. Now there's only one God for her, and His name is Christ Jesus. There, there's a, a commentator that I really like to read. Her name is Karen Jobes. I think she's still at Wheaton, but she writes a great commentary on 1 Peter. And she really presses home the point that in first century Rome, a woman who came to Christ without her husband, she could bring embarrassment on him. So there's a lot of tension. And you have to understand the people to whom Peter is speaking in this. So let's kind of, let's back this up for a moment. Let's bring it into our context. And listen, I know that I'm probably not gonna describe your situation perfectly, but allow me to give a little hyperbole here just to, to make sure we can cover all the bases. But let's think about a situation, many of you are in this situation, that when y'all met, and even when you got married, you weren't a born-again Christian, right? Your weekends were very different than they are now. You drank together, you partied together, you smoked pot together. You might have cussed as much as he does. And that was kind of your life. Your weekends were free. You did a whole lot of things together. You sure weren't weren't going to go to church with all those stuffy religious people, were you? You used to make fun of that crowd. Now you're in that crowd. And listen, he talks like he always did. But you don't want to hear it anymore. He does the things He always used to do. But you don't want to do that stuff anymore. He wants the kids in travel ball. You want the kids in church. He still watches Game of Thrones. That makes you extremely uncomfortable now. You're in two completely different places. Listen, watch your strategy now. How are you going to approach this if your priority is, man, he needs Jesus? And how can I respond to that opposition in a way? That might bring him to Jesus. Not guaranteed, but it just might work. Peter uses the word, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And immediately, it's kind of like, wow, right? Whoa. There's a lot of resistance to that. But here's what I want to challenge you with. What's the opposite of that? You going to argue with him? Cram it down his throat? Scream at him every time y'all get in a debate about church? That strategy's not going to work. If you take the tension in the home that's already there and you throw gas on the fire, that's not going to work, is it? And what's the opposite of be subject to? The opposite is to be separated from. And man, your presence in the home, the Holy Spirit inside of you, learning new things from the Lord, it is such an important part of the strategy. You being there. Is there a point of separation? Yes. But, but make that a last extreme. For instance, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He talks about the separation point, but he also talks about the importance of your presence in the home as a strategy. So listen to this. He says, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 12, "...to the rest I say, I not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him..." See, this is not just for the wives here. This is the strategy for the men too, right? This is for an unbelieving spouse. He says, if she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. Man, your presence there is is a is a sanctifying convicting presence for him. It is a witness of salvation to your children. You are a strategic point through which the Lord could work to reach those people in your home. Don't forget that. He says, "But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases the brother or sister is not enslaved." God has called you to peace, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Listen, does this strategy work every time? Nope. It may come to the point that they separate. If they do, you got to leave that to God. You can't bring that guilt on yourself. But... For a time, you have to understand your presence is the best chance they've got to come to Jesus. If they separate from that, you're free to let them go. But before separation, your strategy is be subject to. Listen, (laughs) ladies, when you came to Jesus... You brought another man into the relationship. You somehow have to demonstrate to him you're still committed to him. And if he's antagonistic to your faith, you've got to understand the approach of humility is so important here. Peter's not saying you don't have identity. If you didn't have identity, Peter wouldn't talk to you. Why do you talk to somebody who has no identity? Man, in Christ, you have raised your identity. That's why he said, you got a choice in this thing, ladies, and he starts first with you. But he's saying we don't want them to get to the point of separation. Let's get them to the point of sanctification. So, let's bring a test case into this passage to understand how it is written. Okay? So, so let me describe the passage like this. This passage is one of those passages in the Bible that is a wide field with broad fences. There are limits to it. But man, in between, there's a lot of room for you to apply it in a lot of different ways. And as I preach through this, every home in this room is different. So it's hard to say you got to do this and not that and this and that. Man, he's saying, look... These are not the prescriptions. You got to do this just like this every day. He's saying here are the principles. That's the wide fence or the wide field with the broad fence, right? So here's your test case. And I've gotten this a lot through the years of being a pastor. You have a lady who's married to a man who's an unbeliever. And listen, the case of 1 Peter is really this kind of thing of, let me back this up. The Bible advises you, if you're not married and you're a believer, don't marry an unbeliever. Don't put yourself in this situation. That's what the Bible says. Don't be unequally yoked. But this situation is one, you're both unbelievers, and now you've come to know Christ, and He hasn't, right? So I've gotten this several times through my years being a pastor. Brother Brian, I know you talk about tithing, and you want me to tithe. But man, my husband, he's like really against... Me giving church, money to the church, he hates the church. What do I do? Look at the passage. Y'all aren't looking at the passage. Look at, the, okay, look at the passage. Look at it. So, so if you want to tithe and he doesn't want you to tithe, then he's really against you tithing. Look at the passage. What do you do? And you're reading it, and you're like, well, it really doesn't tell you. It does. It tells you exactly what you need to do. Like, so listen, and you're looking at it, and, and I remember I said it's it's not prescriptive, it's principled. Some of you are looking at it going, well, I disagree with that. Because right here it says she shouldn't wear earrings. She needs to quit braiding her hair. So bless God, if we're gonna live for Jesus, she needs to be in dress all the time. Amen. All right? If you believe that passage is prescriptive, let me throw this situation to you. Have you ever heard a man whose wife became a believer and he was an unbeliever? Give this testimony right here. I hated her going to church. And then all of a sudden she quit braiding her hair. And <laughs> she stopped wearing earrings. I was so convicted by that that I came to Jesus. (laughs) Do you get what I'm saying? That's not what the passage is saying. He's not saying that if, if you don't look a certain way as a woman, if you don't do this, that it makes you a super Christian. Now, let me throw a scenario to you to show you what I mean by this passage. is principled, not prescriptive. What if she comes to Jesus... And she looks her best every week on the way to church. Through the week at home, I mean, she, you know, she's casual, right? We're just, hey, going around. Doesn't spend a whole lot of time getting together. And I know you're like, what? now, boy. Hey, let's just be honest. Like, there's a lot, Late like, man, you can make yourself really beautiful. And let's think about this. What if through the week, you don't put a whole lot of emphasis on that? And then all of a sudden on Sunday, Sunday, you take two hours to get ready and you look your best going out of the house, leaving him there. What does that communicate? Now, take that verse right there and look at how it speaks to that situation. Hey, ladies, be careful. Don't just let your beauty be the braiding of your hairy earrings. Man, he needs to see something else. He sure don't need to be thinking, what's going on up there at church, right? Who's she meeting up there at that place? That's a way you look at this passage, and there's a lot of different situations. It's not prescriptive. It's very principled, though. So he's saying, if you put a different emphasis and you let him know, man, he's this quiet, godly spirit. One of the things that he needs to hear from you is not you cramming Christ down his throat all the time. But he needs to see something going on in you that not only pleases God but he can look at and go man she still loves me but she loves me like she's never loved me before she's sacrificial now and the more i hate it the more she loves me and man look at the end of first peter chapter 2 just like you become jesus in a workplace or in a society that, that hates you. The more you suffer, the more you become like Christ. And you can do that because Christ did that for you, right? Now, here's the question. Does that approach put her in a more vulnerable place? Yes. Yes. And here's especially what goes on in a woman's mind. What if, right? Because she wants security. She wants certainty of what's going to happen. But what, listen, if, I, if I'm subject to him and he's not a believer, so let's go back to the tithe thing, right? You, Brian, you never told us what I'm supposed to do with tithe. Listen, if he hates you tithing and he don't want to hear it, tell him what you want to do. Yeah, I feel like this is important to God. Well, don't you dare be giving my money to the church. Listen to me. If he's there at this point, don't do it. But listen, he doesn't need to keep hearing about it. You take on a gentle, quiet spirit. That's precious in the sight of God. You still show him that you're devoted to him. You love Him like Christ would love Him. You let God... But Brian, what if, what if? That's the fear part of this, entering into the equation, right? Because it seems like it makes me more vulnerable. And it will. So he addresses that fear. He says in verse 5, For this is how the holy women who helped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, (laughs) let's be careful with this. This doesn't mean that you start going on and calling him Lord, right? That word Lord right there was like a sign of respect. Instead of calling him moron, you probably need to call him something else, right? That's kind of what he's getting at. But listen, don't be going on. And I know some of y'all are going to do this. Some of y'all are going to do this. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Yes, Lord. <laughs> Just to spite him, right? That's not what it's telling you to do. It's telling you to keep it respectful. And it's given you the, it, it's given you the way they would have had conversations then. So look at this. Has Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you are her children. If you do good and listen, do not fear anything that's frightening. When when you hear this passage and you think of the vulnerability, it does bring you in. That's scary. It's frightening. And I want you to think about what happened to Sarah. Remember Sarah who two times Abraham pawned her off as his sister? Gave her to another man who thought she was attractive to save his own skin? Abraham. Right? Right? Boy, she put herself in an extremely vulnerable position, didn't she? Hey, what did God do? He jerked a knot in two dudes. That's what He did. He defended her. He worked through her. He awakened two men to who was really God. Two men who thought they were in control, all of a sudden God showed them, I'm in control. And you better be careful how you treat her because, listen, she's ultimately mine. She's the mother of the promise, right? That's how God responded to that. So, let's go to the ultimate what if. Brian, am I supposed to subject myself to abuse? No. Absolutely not. If you are in a dangerous position, leave it. Get to a place of safety, right? We got to take care of that first. Now, if, if, if you want to understand how God sees you as a woman who's subjecting herself to this, dudes, here comes the warning for the men. You need to pay attention to this. Listen to how God sees this woman that you're married to. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So let me address something very quickly. If there are men in this church and you say everything right about God and religion and the Bible and everything's good on Sunday when you get out of that car, but you're oppressive to her at home, listen to me, guys. You will never be right with God until you get some things right with her. Your relationship with her affects your relationship with God. You're like, Brian, and I hear this out of dudes all the time. I'm praying about some things and God's not answering. Here's my next thing to you. How are you treating your wife? Look at the passage. I want to tell you, sir, you may not value her like you're supposed to, but your God does. And He's watching out for her. Because you're physically strong and you're loud. And sometimes emotionally, you're not connected. And God's watching that. She's a weaker vessel. She comes from things in a different way. And you better be careful with how you talk to her. You better be careful how you handle her. You better be careful how you relate to her. And don't you dare come in here thinking you're all right with God and you're horrible to her at home. Because that verse right there tells you that don't jive with God. Before you can get some things right with him, you better work on some things with her. That's your strategy. It's a tough place. And it's filled with fear. What if, what if, what if, what if? He tells you, I took care of Sarah. I'll take care of you. And I can take care of Him. That's your God. But in the meantime, you might suffer being subject to a man like that. But the Lord can do things in His heart, and you are a critical part of that puzzle. So how would we bear the passage down? And I I want to leave you with this. If I was going to take this passage and put it down into simple principles, I'm going to give these to you very quickly. One is this. For the women, your strategy is submission, not separation. There may come a point of separation, but make that a last resort. But if you need it, use it. Show them Christ rather than cram it down their throat. Gentle, quiet spirit. Win them without a word. If you don't want to tithe, listen, don't bring it up again. Trust God. But show that you're devoted to Him. Inner beauty over increased brazenness. You shouldn't look best on your way to church. <laughs> show Him that you still love Him. Show Him that you're committed to Him. Show Him that you care about Him. Don't be, well, I'm going to church with or without. Don't, no, 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 no. Gentle, quiet spirit. Listen, that's precious before God. That's your ultimate motivation. Listen, fear God, not the future what if. Your mind can be filled with what ifs. You just got to trust God with those things and let Him work. For the men, it's about deference, not dominance. Man, you defer to her. You love her. You think about her. She's first. Think about how you treat her. Value her rather than be vindictive. And then the last thing is you need to realize that your relationship with God is affected by your relationship with her. That's really important. So I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes with me for a moment. I know there's a lot in this. But I want to give us an opportunity to just come and pray for our family this morning. Maybe this applies to where you are in your marriage right now? Maybe it doesn't. But I want to tell you, between the even if of a marriage that can be spiritually out of sync to a even if this works, if he's an unbeliever and she's an unbeliever, there's a lot of places where you might have found some good counsel here today. So I want us to come and just pray for our families. Maybe you're here and you have an unbelieving husband or an unbelieving wife. Would you come to this altar? And I'm going to pray over that too. So Linda's going to sing just a a verse and a chorus or so. Give us just a moment to get down here. Let's join together as a family of faith. Praying for our families, praying for these unbelieving spouses, praying for the strength of some of these ladies that are suffering at home, some of these men who are having a tough time, just keeping, keeping one foot in front of the other, going to Christ. But I want to pray for you. And let's get in this altar together today. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you today thanking you that you are concerned when there is this spiritual place in our marriages that is very out of sync. And so, God, we're going to come to the altar today and we're going to pray about this, Lord, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would move upon this need. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand together? If you want to come in the altar, you want to sit on the front seat.